Bob Jensen, today's presenter. He is the VP of Marketing for Ignite, an experienced marketing professional. He specializes in facilitating customer and partner advisory boards, overseeing global awareness, lead generation, field enablement programs, a jack of all trades. This is the expert you want to be here to talk about today. Um, please welcome back Rob Jensen. Rob, welcome back. So Thanks, good to Eddie. have you. Thanks, Eddie. Good to be back and talking to everyone. Um, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, and Rob, you're going to make us smart again today about customer advisory boards, yes. specifically being a member of a customer advisory Yeah, board. so we're talking, so I, I've presented and written about customer advisory boards throughout my career and been with Ignite for about six, seven years now. And today we wanted to focus on a little bit about what's in it for moi? What's in it for those product marketers or product managers who either have been invited to join a customer advisory board and participate in one, and or for those whose companies might be might have one, might be interested in starting one, might be considering starting one, and we'll get into a lot of the benefits. But specifically today, we're going to focus on how this can help you personally in your career path. So that's our that's our focus today. So thanks again, Eddie. So the first thing we want to do today is um, talk about customer advisory boards versus kind of other customer engagement methods that are out there, and the reason is. Um, uh, I talked to a bunch of product people about their, their customer engagement programs, and I get a lot of interest, interesting answers. You know, let's, let's talk about customer engagement programs that are out there, right? And again, I, I do talk to a lot of product managers and marketers to say, hey, what are you doing? Well, first of all, are you engaging their customers? And I say, and they almost inevitably say, yeah, of course we are. And I say, great, how are you doing that? And I get a lot of uh, a, a range of answers and sometimes some very interesting answers. So uh, <clears throat> one of the top engagement programs out there is just that co companies will say, yeah, our salespeople interact, you know, relationship managers, they interact with our, with our customers, which is great. You exist, you leverage your existing sales team, but the guidance you're getting can be, you know, ad hoc, hit and miss, complaints. And the people that are in these meetings, your customers, they think this is a sales engagement. So every question is gauged with, hmm, how's this guy trying to sell me, right? And even the people asking the questions are kind of fishing for how they can get add-on engagement. So that's kind of how that interaction goes. And it's a very common one. Maybe one of the top ones I hear. Uh, some companies do invest in customer satisfaction, you know, uh, uh, NPS or uh, CSAT, um, which is formal, comprehensive. It's a good program. But it can be expensive and resource intensive, and there's no face-to-face -face engagement, right? You're just basically asking customers, hey, would you recommend us? And they say yes or no, right? Or to what degree? You may not be getting a lot of background as to why. Um, some companies do surveys, hey, which is fast and expensive these days. But there too, you're getting tactical input, maybe just complaints, right? The squeaky wheels. And these days, more than ever, it's low participation, right? Everyone gets surveys. Everyone... A lot of people get these and they're certainly, your executives certainly aren't, aren't filling them out. Usually your users, right? Speaking of users, a lot of companies do have user group meetings, which is great. You get a large group of your users together, but it's almost exclusively one-way communication and there's minimal opportunity for deeper discussions. You're basically saying, hey, here's our roadmap and here's what we're doing and what do you guys think? And you may or may not get a lot of strategic uh, input. It's more tactical. Um, some people have moved their engagement to social media, right? LinkedIn groups. But these have been and been pretty universally disappointing as far as getting input, getting your custom customers to participate. Even some of the biggest companies we work with and some we don't work with, a big complaint is, hey, our, our, our customers just don't participate in them. And they certainly don't share, you know, strategic guidance. It's more like, you know, little, little tactical things. Uh, some companies, you know, um, it's informal, ad hoc, right? You don't have to do anything and just wait for your customers to maybe contact you with a complaint. <laughs> uh, so again, you're making actions based on squeaky wheels and companies have and will, certainly in my experience, will take action, you know, big strategic changes in direction based on one single data point. Like one guy says something, oh, we should change it. Well, is that, <laughs> which may or may not work very well. Um, and then some companies just don't really have a customer engagement uh, uh, strategy which is great and you don't have to do anything, but you can really misfire on product and marketing execution and you're missing strategic opportunities. So again, some of the most common 
uh, uh, engagement meetings there. What companies really want is they want to gain their, uh, you know, they want to validate their roadmap. They want to co-innovate with clients and create a trusted network, right, to help provide, you know, not only product roadmap feature enhancements, but a range and a, and a, and a more wider strategic input. Um, the people that want to do this and can do this, the decision makers and influencers, they, on the other hand, are overwhelmed with information. They probably manage a lot of different things besides your product, right? They're inundated with invitations on a range of things uh, from, that, from various companies and vendors. And they're, they too are skeptical of overt sales pitches, right? Because a lot of companies, customer engagement is about sales uh, uh, opportunities. So uh, sometimes executives can be skeptical of this. Um, but they are interested and available for strategic engagement, right? They love to talk and benchmark against peers, right? How's this other company doing this? Uh, they like to provide and share strategic guidance with small growing companies. Who doesn't like to do that, right? They're also drawn to kind of prestigious engagement programs and boards, right? Boards is a magic word where, wow, this is great. This will look good on my LinkedIn page or that kind of thing. Um, they have less bandwidth for tactical things, right? Surveys, tweeting, product reviews, blogs, likes and shares. Strategic guys, they don't have, and, and, and men and women, they don't have time for that, guys. Uh, for many of the engagement programs. But so executives and, and, and will participate in programs that support their un, own companies and their and, and their own personal brand. And we'll get into that a bit uh, in, uh, shortly. Um, companies that are that are, are doing this very well and engaging customers are doing so through customer advisory boards, which some of you may know, it's a leader, it's a panel of leaders from uh, key customer organizations who work with your company's senior leadership to guide strat strategy and offerings and address shared industry challenges, right? It's not just about your product, it's about shared industry challenges, right? Um, <clears throat> uh, customer advisory boards can certainly benefit your organization in a number of ways. The top one, obviously, for this group is to help input and prioritize your product roadmap, discover new product and service categories that maybe you haven't thought of or leaving money on the table, new customer segments, right? This happens all the time that your product can help other people in other areas you didn't even know about. Um, you can leverage emerging industry trends, uncover competitive opportunities. This happens all the time, right? Hey, your competitor is contacting me with this offer. And the host customer is like, wow, we didn't even know that. Um, uh, companies to acquire M&A opportunities happen all the time, especially partnerships, right? Uh, uh, integration partners, other technology vendors that, are, that integrate with your solution. Uh, other reseller channels, and what not to do. Stop doing that is something a lot of companies learn um, from their customer advisory board. So a lot of benefits there. Um, another one is uh, <clears throat> that customer advisory boards impact revenue. And there's now several studies that show that, right? One was done by Oracle that shows, you know, purchasing and willing to recommend and overall satisfaction is higher, much higher uh, for for customer advisory board companies who companies who participate on customer advisory boards above those who don't participate companies who host a customer advisory board versus those who don't host a customer advisory board right uh, my agency also did a survey where we discovered you know retention rate and new business increases and a Canadian study was really fantastic that showed you know huge numbers of, of sales. Uh, growing over over time with companies who host customer advisory boards over those who don't. So we have links to a lot of this on our website if you're interested in some of the data, right? If you want to show your execs, you know, get some numbers behind it. Um, you know, and why, what kind of the why behind satisfaction and loyalty, you know, it's, it, there's some psychology here, right? You bring your members into your company's inner circle and they provide input to you and they, they become professionally, emotionally invested in your, in your success, right? They're telling you what to do and you do it. They're, they're now kind of uh, linked to you. Um, their enthusiasm and passion kind of permeates now within their team and, and within their own company and beyond. And that, that makes them less likely to defect Right. If there's a little problem, they're not just going to jump ship. They're going to work with you through that uh, much more um, eagerly. Right. Uh, and then, you know, finally, customer advisory boards can be used to help market your company. Right. These, these customer advisory board members are clients, uh, are advocates for references, and you can publish research from your advisory board discussions. Right. Benchmarks, case studies, white papers. And you can use your customer advisory board members for analyst interviews or for references or for sales kickoffs. This happens all the time uh, in, in, in my experience. 
Um, lastly, and I do, I'll pause after this, but, um, you know, we did a survey many years ago to kind of, kind of confirm what we were hearing from our customers about the value that cabs provide host companies and product direction, branding and positioning insight and increased loyalty were at the top. Interest, the takeaway here is at the bottom, the least valuable uh, aspect of a customer advisory board was sales references, right? Customer advisory boards are not trapping your customers in a room and, you know, give them your, you know, demo and they're trapped and you're going to get more sales. That's not what a customer advisory board is about. Although some people think that's what they're about, especially your sales group, um, but that's not what they're about. And, you know, I just kind of covered the, the normal common uh, uh, ways that companies typically engage customer advisory boards. And as we were talking before with Callie, um, I, I, I didn't even cover some of the bizarre answers we get for customer advisory board engagement. I wrote a whole blog about, you know, companies will say, yeah, our, our engineers engage with our, with our customers. And I, then I said, oh, great. How's that going? How, in the, oh, I don't know. You don't know how your, what your customers are saying about your product. And I don't know, just kind of very, interesting answers we'll get or our CIO picks the members or it's a junket we all go to the Bahamas and it's just very bizarre answers that some people think yeah we have customer engagement covered with very interesting programs and I wrote a whole blog about that okay but now let's talk about you guys right how can customer advisory boards you know it's all well and good to help your company right okay but how does this help you personally in your career, right? Let's get to the nitty gritty here. Okay, so for you um, product marketers and product marketing managers that you know either have a program or are considering starting a program, this can help your career, right? So if you are lucky enough to participate in the meeting itself, you get to showcase your skills and knowledge to executives from your best cu uh, customers, right? You can illustrate successful, innovative uh, uh, applications and implementations of your product, show how you know, your, 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 your product can be used in the right way and in, in new ways and novel ways, and your customers can be very impressed with you, right? Um, just so, but more importantly, you'll get noticed by the host company executives from your own company who are presenting in, in, the, in, in the meeting with you or, or participating in the meeting, right? They, they may not really know you or aware of your importance and talents. I mean, I remember, you know, a couple of meetings I was in, uh, that you know, our CEO said, "Wow, I didn't, who is that guy? I didn't know him. He's great." That's happened a few times, and those guys tend to stick around and do well. Um, you get noticed, uh, elevate your profile, um, and in participating, you get to learn new and previously unknown customer challenges. Right? Like, wow, I didn't know that they were having challenges here or struggling with this, or that's a problem. You get to, you know, you'll develop potential solutions or workarounds or changes that can address these. And you'll then create more revenue for your company, uh, which gets attributed to you because you heard this and made a change. And now that they fixed it and they renewed and that gets it, that can go to you, right? Um, and then lastly, um, you can get hired by the customer advisory board member companies themselves, right? This has happened a couple of times too, in my experience. So, you know, the, the product manager presents something and the, the, the customer advisory board companies are like, wow, that's pretty awesome. This guy's great. We need a guy like that. We have that same problem. We have a problem over here. And uh, the, the, um, the customer advisory board companies actually hire uh, uh, host company product managers sometimes, often at a higher level and, and salary. So it's, it's, you know, you're putting yourself, it's a big advertisement for yourself in front of the members. So a couple examples here. Uh, one product manager was in a customer advisory board. He regularly presented over time. And not only did he, so he impressed his executives and he was actually promoted to oversee the, the, the department, the development department when the develop, the head guy left and the, the guy, the, the um, product manager um, was promoted to do that in part uh, because of his participation in the customer advisory board. Um, another product manager I was working with, um, he uncovered some new product applications as a result of the customer advisory board. They launched a new, he was tasked with developing and launching kind of this new product for a different application. And he, the product was successful and he was promoted to oversee the entire product line and the revenue for that product. So it was a whole new you know, revenue stream for these guys that this product manager was put in charge of as a result of the input from the customer advisory board. So that was really great for him. And then lastly, um, a third example was there's this product manager, uh, you know, product guy who uh, presented and impressed at, at customer advisory board meetings. 
He communicated a lot of uh, incremental value and capabilities of the product and technologies and using leveraging not only his own technology, but others that were available. And um, he was hired by one of the customer advisory board companies um, uh, to help implement a lot of the changes he was talking about capabilities company-wide. So um, this happens, I've seen it. It happens uh, 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 you know, pretty regularly. And this is really great. For, for product managers and product marketers who, are, who participate in customer advisory boards. That's some really great uh, career opportunities. Um, there's also benefit for actually participating on a customer advisory board. And some technology people, you know, they might be invited to join a customer advisory board. And they may not be sure, do I wanna do this? Is it worth it? Uh, what do I get out of it? Um, so here's the top 10. It was, it was uh, uh, written in, in CIO Insight for CIOs who were invited to join a customer advisory board, which they sometimes do. Um, really quickly, you know, you get to influence your vendor product and solutions roadmap. In other words, you tell your vendor to make it perfect for you, <laughs> uh, to work great and to meet your needs. Um, you acquire best practices and learn against peers, right? For, so other companies and other industries who have the same challenge, what are they doing? How are they getting around this? And you'll really learn uh, what they're doing successfully and be able to apply that to your own company. This, this is al almost every meeting I've, I'm in is, uh, that, that's a benefit. Um, you get to, you know, you obtain insight from your host company's strategic initiatives. What are they doing? You're, you're the opportunity to, to beta test products, right? So the company's launching something, you can test it. You, you'll be the first, you'll be offered to test it for the first time and make changes that, you know, help your company the best. Um, you interact with executive management teams from the host company and others. Um, you can improve customer service and support, right? This, this is pretty common too, because it's actually kind of low hanging fruit for companies to improve their service and support, kind of little things, little tweaks, right? Um, have made, have really gone over well with customer advisory boards. Um, you learn about, you know, more general industry trends that are that are impacting uh, your, your, your colleagues, but also coming down the road, right? That you may not know of. We're so focused every day and heads down on what we're doing, but you might not be able to look up to see what's coming. Um, you might work with your cab members, fellow cab members to help solve a, a, a business challenge that we're all facing, right? Could be, you know, uh, uh, IT security. That's a, I mean, everybody knows that's a huge challenge in, uh, challenge in an industry unto itself but everyone working together to try to come up with a solution here. And then you come up with a, a really cool aspect and then you publish that, right? That's, that's, that's a big benefit, not only your company, but, but then to go to number two, number 10 here is, um, then you're publishing, number nine here, you're publishing thought leadership. And now we're getting into, you know, potential uh, personal and professional growth, right? This is now helping you uh, to come up with these novel solutions. So um, here's a couple examples from what I've seen from customer advisory board members uh, impacting their career, right? So uh, there was this, uh, I was involved with this security uh, technology uh, company, and there was this one guy who was a longtime customer advisory board member. So he established all these relationships. Um, and then another customer advisory board company on the on the cab acquired a, a, another company. And we know for tech people, M&A and acquisitions happen constantly, right? So the cat, this other cab member was hired to integrate and run this acquired division because he, he had more uh, specific knowledge in this one realm and integrations are always a challenge understatement. Um, and so the company needed help with that and they had acquired another cab member. They hired another cab member, I should say. Um, a second example that happened recently for me was um, there was a major university. That, uh, he was a financial executive on the, on this bank's customer advisory board, and um, he he uh, not only was a fantastic member, but he presented at the customer advisory board his innovative kind of payment application, how they were using the bank's technology for some really really cool and kind of out of the box um, uh, services and uh, capabilities. And the bank hired him within the bank to uh, roll out this application to the bank's customers nationwide. And he's still there, he's a super great guy. And um, he was hired from the customer advisory board to the host company. So that worked out really well. Um, so there's just a couple examples of, you know, how serving on a customer advisory board uh, can help your career. This is fascinating, Rob. You, we did have an interesting question come up in the Q&A from Charlie. Charlie's asking, uh, have you seen any difference in the acceptance of CAB programs internationally? In other words, does culture make any difference on how difficult it is to implement one of these? 
Yeah, you know, I have to admit that my, you know, being an American, most of the companies I've been with have been very U.S. North America focused. However, many companies do roll out customer advisory board board programs internationally, right? So I ran an international customer advisory board that was for Europe. Uh, Another company ran it. They had North America, Europe, and Asia Pacific. Um, So the good news is, is that many of these concepts all completely apply internationally. Um, And, uh, you know, what executive doesn't want to get these benefits and learn and help their career and help their companies. So that all works really well. Um, The the challenge can be is sometimes uh, internationally people have different ideas, they have different resources, they might have more resource limitations. As we know, in Europe, countries do things differently. Um, You know, they might kind of have different expectations for how this works. You know, what language do you do it in? Where do you meet? There's other hurdles internationally that obviously for North, for US at least, we don't have, but it can be done. And um, again, I, I've, I've gone to England and, and run a customer advisory board for an international group and it worked very well. Um, there's other challenges to overcome, but all, all these, um, uh, you know, lessons and benefits do apply. Fascinating. No, no specific place then where, you know, uh, the people be, uh, because of the culture may be hesitant to participate uh, because they, you know, they, they just see it for what it is, which is an attempt to improve someone else's business or, you know, they just don't think there's enough in it for them. No issues like that anywhere, specifically related to culture. I mean, we would deal with those any place, I'm sure. Sure. To some you know, there is one interesting aspect for that, Eddie, is in, in, in the Asia Pacific, um, there was a tendency for those participants to not, kind of not want to criticize, right? It's kind of a cultural thing. You don't want to mm. criticize. So there was a bit of messaging around, around for host companies to be uh, transparent and want to, well, there's kind of two aspects. One is a host company needs to be honest and transparent and open the kimono to their challenges and problems. Some companies don't want to do that. You know, they want to tell their company, their customers, everything's great. We have it under control. We know what we're doing. And that's their, that's how they, that's kind of how they roll. And they either don't have a customer advisory boards, they don't want to know, or they do it and it's less, less beneficial. And then there's the, the members who sometimes, and again, this happened a little bit in Asia was there was a hesitancy to kind of be more open and, 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 and critical and kind of be, neg- be perceived as negative, right? Um, but there too, it takes a little messaging. Hey, we're here to do that. We're here to be honest. Put your, you know, um, very, you know, your manners and everything kind of aside and let's get real and honest. And this is a place to do that. Um, that one even had, uh, there was, it was, it was around Asia Pacific and we had uh, translators and different languages and stuff. So it was really fascinating, but that was one area to, you know, you want to make an environment where people can be honest with their, what the, their likes and their dislikes and their suggestions for improvement. Um, and Rob, we I know we saved plenty of time for Q&A at the end, but Zoe did have a question in the chat related sure. to what we're talking about now. Uh, Zoe says, um, can I ask a question about who to invite to a cab? What if a large segment of my customers are government? Are they allowed to participate? So we've been talking internationally, and obviously there's yeah. a whole can of worms there if you're talking internationally, but... What about inviting government members into your cab? Any specific great question. to be aware of there? So the great question. So the answer is yes, of course. Uh, many government entities do have customer advisory boards. And if you Google it, you can see they, they sent out press releases about customer advisory boards and you know they do have them, government hosts them, they participate on them. And so the, the, you know, it completely applies to them. Now, the flip side of that is, um, is that a lot of governments, they do have rules about how they're able to take um, their participation. And this doesn't apply just to government. So for example, let's say, you know, um, if you're paying for travel or hotel, most companies don't have a problem with that because the host company, let's say, well, hey, we'll cover your, there's, there's no cost to participate on a customer advisory board and we don't want you to have to spend any money. So we'll pay for your hotel and your flight to come to our customer advisory board meeting in person, obviously, let's say it's in Houston or something. Um, so a lot of companies say, yeah, that's great. You know, they're just paying my costs. Some companies, however, do have restrictions on that. 
And they're only allowed to take gifts up to a certain amount, like maybe up to $100. They might pay for it themselves. So some government entities would be that, that way too. They might have rules around what they're able to accept as um, compensation for travel. And also some companies will also like give like a kind of a, 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 a thank you gift. They're, they're inexpensive. They're focused on a meeting. We have other blogs on this, but some companies are not able to, you know, it, it, you have to keep it inexpensive, like let's say under a hundred dollars. And most companies and government entities can take it under a, that, you know, things under a, a certain limit. You can't do it thousands and thousands of dollars, obviously. So that applies to government, some government, some may not have a problem with it. And then others uh, applies to big companies too, especially like in the um, defense industry, there's a lot of rules there. And so there, there could be some sensitivities there that you're, you can work around. And obviously it would be disastrous if you got someone in trouble who was volunteering to be on your cab. So the responsibility would fall to you to be aware of all of these rules as you invite well, so, well, sure. I mean, you, well, hopefully the, the person knows the rules too. So for example, let's sure. say you're inviting, you know, a, 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 a government entity. I'm a, you, you know, they probably have rules. Oh, we can only accept, you know, compensation or, or reimbursement for travel up to a certain amount, 200. I don't even know what the amounts are. Right. Yeah. And so the, you can either, you know, work within those boundaries or you can, or the, the, the member might say, you know what, I'll just pay for my own flight and my own this, and I, I can't accept the gift. And um, you kind of work together on it. You mean, you're being transparent. There's no secrets. So there's no, you know, keeping things under the table. There's not, I've never experienced that. There's none of that. There's no need for it. Keep it all on the level. Yeah. And by the way, I've never experienced a problem with any of this ever either. You know, kind of there's there's kind of two two concerns everyone always has. One is the biggest one is well, there's this one, right? Getting in trouble for some sort of spend or something. I've never that's never happened in my career, right? The other thing that everyone's concerned about is like non-disclosure and communicating sensitive uh, information to customers, and we don't want this to fall on competitors' hands. That's always a big concern. Um, I've written about non-disclosure agreements. This this issue of sensitive equip sensitive information falling on enemy and customer hand, competitor hands has never happened. Never been an issue. Never been a problem. Easy workarounds. In fact, I actually wrote. You know, sometimes one of one of the one of the restrictions sometimes we'll get is around our, our lawyer legal has challenges and questions here and you know you know legal people are they want to very risk averse to say understatement i wrote a blog on this for how to how to communicate to your lawyer about starting your customer advisory board uh, so what can we find that someplace yeah, it's on our Some... website it's it's on the on cap i'm sorry it's on in ignite uh website under under uh resources and uh, blogs under blogs very cool. How to talk yeah. to the lawyer about your cab. That's oh yeah. Awesome. Me and lawyers and marketers, we go way back. <laughs> That's a whole other webinar. Okay. Uh, so for those that are interested in considering, like, hey, this sounds great. Um, I, I'd like to, I, I'd like to pursue, you know, maybe you know, advocating starting a customer advisory board. Here's five keys to success. Uh, but before we get into that, let's get to our second poll. Um, Callie, if you're there, we can pull up our second poll. We want to go ahead and get. You know, what's your biggest challenge? Uh, you know, to you that you think you that you're facing, or you think you might face in initiating a customer advisory board program. Um, and while we originally thought, oh, select all that apply, because many companies have many challenges here. Um, <clears throat> pick the pick the number one one, right? The biggest one, right? Is it building a case, a business case? Is it obtaining the necessary res necessary resources, right? Personnel, bandwidth, time, budget. Is it getting executive sponsorship, right? Sometimes companies, execs will say, yeah, go start it. Good luck with that. Let me know what it turns out. Um, if you fail, it's on you. If it, if it succeeds, we all, you know, we're all in this, great. Um, recruiting, right? Recruiting senior level customers, creating a compelling agenda, strategic agenda, keeping members engaged between meetings, um, you know, turning insights from board members into actions, you know, you get all this great insight, now what? Uh, measuring the impact and ROI of your customer advisory board, right? What's your biggest challenge? If you're going to have a customer advisory board, top five things you need to do, right? <clears throat> Invest in preparation, right? 
know that you're going to want to address topics that the members want to cover, not, not necessarily that your company wants to cover. How do you do that? One way to do that is to interview uh, uh, your, your, your customers and talk to them, engage with them, and you know, look at your previous meetings and surveys, and they're going to tell you. They, have, they know what they want to talk about. They'll tell you what you want to talk about, what they want to talk about, but you have to engage them, right? Um, get a lineup of engaging session leaders, not just your CEO and the product team, uh, uh, you know, get people who are knowledgeable on their topic, but can really are good session leaders. Review the meeting materials. Don't just show up and assume everyone has the latest and that's what we want to communicate. Practice, rehearse with all the, all your, everyone that's going to be there should know, should see everything, right? And then if you're having a virtual meeting, test the virtual meeting technology. We've all been to meetings where the technology doesn't work or We've all been there. <laughs> I don't even need, that's a whole other different webinar of everything that, you know, test in advance. And there's a whole process for preparing for um, a, a customer advisory board meeting. It's kind of here on the bottom right, all the different steps to take. And um, we can advise, you know, the details on how to do that for those who are interested. Um, <clears throat> second thing is plan for engagement. You know, communicate, why are you addressing this topic? What are you trying to get out of it? What, what are you trying to learn from members? Most companies would never put the questions or what are we trying to learn? They just, hey, I'm Rob, here we go. And they just start presenting, right? What are we, why are we doing this? Why are we covering this? Um, again, convey the questions. Here's what I want to answer. Here's what I'm looking for from you guys, right? And then design the sessions to elicit responses, right? Leverage the meeting technology. So video, there's other things too. Active cursor, highlight, circle, polling questions, voting, chat box, raise hands, you know, spending dollars, all different kinds of games you can do to get people engaged to answer a question that you need answered, right? Um, so on the other side, you know, in other words, do not present canned PowerPoint presentations, right? Uh, don't present your IR presentation that's on your website and recorded. That That's happened. Um, don't provide an abundance of updates. Right, here's what we're doing the whole meeting, right? Here's an update on what we told you last time. Uh, th that's not very engaging. That can be a webinar, right? Especially if you have third-party people who just, you know, analysts or speakers that just present their thing for an hour. Don't bring them to the customer advisory board if that just could have been a webinar for all your customers, right? Um, don't give product demos or, uh, you know, just trap people or, or sales pitches. That's not what this is about. A lot, you know, your, your salespeople might be salivating to get your, your customers in a room and lock them in and, you know, give your sales pitch, but that's not what it's about. Don't make it a one-way webinar or a one-way presentation. In other words, that's kind of the kiss of death for a customer advisory board meetings, right? Um, a third thing to consider is to maybe increase frequency, right? Sometimes if you start a you know, for younger customer advisory boards, you have so much you want to learn and you want to do. And, you know, maybe are you trying to do too much if you have a full agenda and you need to gather a lot of input and feedback and you need, you're thinking you need a lot of time. This really applies more for, you know, virtual. Um, sometimes our, our client members doing virtual meetings, they've gotten a little long and it's harder for virtual to keep, you know, attention of executives who have other things to do and they're in their office and they're getting email and, chatting. So, you know, if you're doing a virtual meeting, maybe keep it to, you know, one, one and a half, two hours tops. You can break them into shorter engagements, right? Maybe plan a series during the, during the outbreak when people are, you know, virtual, uh, you know, maybe do it, you know, quarterly is a lot of companies are having success with doing quarterly meetings as opposed to like one or two long ones in person, at least during the, during the pandemic, which, is still going on. Great. Um, so this might be in place for a while. So consider increasing the frequency if you have a lot of things to do. Um, and then use a skilled facilitator. You know, a lot of companies want to, you know, think they're going to do this themselves and they start out doing so. And then the meeting's not going well. And, and someone from their own company is, is a facilitator. Um, this happened to me and I was a facilitator young in my career and I kind of didn't know what I was doing and all my bosses were there. And not only was I nervous, but I, for one, certainly was not going to cut off my CEO who was going over time. That's, that's a career limiting decision, right? Whereas if you have a skilled third party facilitator, they'll, they'll you know, establish the participation guidelines, make sure everyone's heard and understand, everyone understands how they participate. Uh, sometimes, you know, they can clear up bottlenecks and keep the meeting on track and on time and make sure that you're getting the outcomes that are desired, right? Because um, cab meeting killers can be people are not sure how to participate. 
Um, it can be, again, boring in one way. I'm going to drive that one home. Minimal discussion, nothing learned, right? People nodding their heads. Great. We done. All right. Thanks. Um, third party facilitators are skilled and experienced and trained. There's a perceived kind of neutrality, right? There's kind of the referee to make sure everything's, you know, going well. And they're not just here to, to, to serve the, the host company. They're there to make sure that the members are, are heard as well. Um, and it also shows, wow, the company's dedicated. They're, they're, they're investing in this meeting. Uh, they're, they're dedicated to this program. And it just ensures an optimal experience, right? And then lastly, uh, tip number five is to communicate outcomes, right? So at the end of sessions in your meeting, you know, did you achieve what you wanted to achieve? Were, the, were the, your questions answered, right? Did you answer them? Um, you're going to want to communicate what you discuss, right? Just don't have a meeting and then, then what? Nothing. Communicate, a, put together a virtual meeting report, summarize discussions, what you heard, the feedback and suggestions, and then potential company actions, right? So after a meeting, your company needs, sometimes we say you're just getting started after the meeting happens, right? All the work to put together the meeting was a lot of work, was great, but now you're just getting started with, now you have all this input, now what? You're going to want to put together an action plan, review all the actions heard, prioritize them with stakeholders, assign leads and timelines. All right, so Eddie, you're going to do this. You'll have this done by you know the end of Q4, right? Yes. Okay, great. Go do it. And then you're going to communicate back to members. Okay, last time we, we heard this action, Eddie did it. Here it is. Here's what changed. And then members will be like, wow, they heard me. They did stuff. This is great. Whereas the opposite is Whatever happened with that, Eddie? I, we talked about that last last June. Whatever happened with that? Why are we asking this again, right? If you if you're, if you're talking about a topic that someone already gave an answer to, and you're not addressed, and you're not showing that you did something, members will get frustrated and leave your program if they don't feel they're being heard or you're not doing anything, right? So about their input, um, and you want to provide sub subsequent progress updates. You know, here's everything we did, and here's the status. Not maybe not everything was done, right? But here's where it is on the program or you know, the product roadmap or the timeline, that's okay. It doesn't, you don't have to do everything they say. That's a misunderstanding sometimes too, is you can, you can select what you're gonna do, maybe do the top five or top 10 and get back to customers with what you've done, right? Here's one that I saw from a couple people. Um, this question is worded, um, you mentioned executive leadership from the customer organizations as participating in the cap. Is there a separate opportunity or process to talk with end users? Or in other words, Rob, is there a difference between a cab and a user group? Yes. What is that? Yes. So the idea here, guys, is you do want to be specific. You never want to have a mix, right? You don't want, well, we have some executives and some users on our customer advisory board. That's generally not good. You want to focus on one or the other. And typically, you're going to get more strategic value from executives as opposed to users. In fact, for some of the, for many, most of the, or some, I should say, some of the customer advisory boards I'm involved with, the executives are not product users and they don't even, they don't even know some of the nitty gritty of the of the product use. And that's a good thing. That's okay, right? Because from a strategic, you want to, if you're going to invest in a customer advisory board, you want strategic executives. If you want to engage in your tactical product users, you can have a customer advisory board and you can have a, a board full of, of users, um, which can work as well, but you don't want to have a mix. You want to focus and spe specify which group you're going after. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's a completely different kind of information that you're gathering here. So in, in some of the Pragmatic Institute courses, we'll talk a lot about going to the user, watching how they use the product, making observations as, as part of the, the design process. This is completely different. A cab gives you different information that you can use and adapt with. Here's another question that came into the Q&A from Jacques. Jacques says, can you comment on the pros and cons of a virtual versus an in-person meeting for cabs. What would the process be like? Do you get different kinds of information in the different venues? Yeah, and that's a, you know, gosh, that, great question, Jacques. And I can tell you because of the way the world has been with the pandemic over the last year and a half is almost, you know, all meetings, almost all meetings have been virtual and we've done many, we've all gotten better at them. But I would say this, you know, nothing beats in person a virtual meeting is never as good as in person. In person's where you're, you know, you're, you there's so many more personal connections. You can see body language. You're learning. You're engaging more. It's not just the meeting. There's social activities. 
So I would answer the question to say, if you can do in-person, and gosh, I hope we're going to get to do that soon, in-person's the best, you'll be happiest, your customers will be happiest, your executives will be happiest with an in-person meeting. Virtual can work too, especially in this day and age. It's not as good, but um, there's many of the same concepts apply, and it's kind of even more important to use a facilitator and prepare and get the topics and and just practice and test the technologies. So virtual works too, but it's never as good as in person. In person's the best. The best. It is the best, but but of course you have to justify the travel expense. You have to justify them uh, coming there live, you know, so that you're not uh, not having to say why why wasn't this just a, a webinar? For meetings, you know, for meetings that are well planned and well prepared, you never get like this. Could have been a webinar. You never get that. I, I, I certainly did not, certainly before the COVID, no one said, I think it's I, said another way, I, I've always been, even before I started working with Ignite, been pleasantly surprised that how valuable people love customer advisory boards, how the survey results are fantastic, how host company executives say, this was great. This, I love this. Let's do this again. You know, it's really great. The power of customer advisory boards, people really, really like them. Yeah. I think everyone, anyone who participates in them and does them well will be pleasantly surprised with how well it goes too. And, you know, Rob, just from that previous poll that we took, it looked like the majority of the audience would knows that they need to do these, but are just having trouble getting it off the ground, getting it implemented for the first time. So we've got lots of questions about sort of the basics of how do you get it started? Um, how many people... What's the frequency? For instance, uh, Peter says, what's the best frequency to keep CAB members engaged? Is it quarterly, uh, typically, or, or do you succeed with more or less monthly? What, how often do you have these? These are, these are all great questions and we do have all the answers. Well, we have numbers that we have some uh, uh, numbers that can really help. So for example, uh, so how often to meet is a question we get all the time. Uh, so back in the pre-pandemic days when we were meeting in person, companies would have in-person meetings uh, either once or twice a year. I think twice a year in person works best. Once a year, it's a long time between meetings, but it, the best thing would be to meet in person twice a year. And then you have what we call interim strategy calls where you, you know, you do engage with your customers virtually, right? Online on a, on a, on a webinar, uh, maybe in between meetings to not just show progress on the input you took or updates or things that you said you would follow up with, but it's also to put together, you know, you're talking about a strategic topic, right? Um, that they want, that they want to talk about. So um, the best would be quarterly, uh, twice in person and then twice virtually, right? Hmm. Um, that that's best, right? And you know, I was thinking about one of the other answers I got once is, oh, how many? Do you have a customer? Yes, we do have a customer advisory board. Great. How many people are on your customer advisory? Oh, we have eighty people on our customer advisory board. Yeah, that's not a customer advisory board. That's a user group, and so eighty people is not good. Um, the best, the ideal, we have a magic number. The magic number for getting people in your customers in a room is twelve. That's your your best dozen, right? And then you have a, and then you have about half that number from your host company, right? So if you get twelve members, six members from your company, and the sort of so for a total of uh, my marketing math, I think that's eighteen. Um, that's the ideal magic number. You don't want to have more comp company people than customers, right? You don't want to have people sitting in the back to just listen. Oh, I'm just going to listen and learn or all the salespeople show up. No, you don't want to do that, right? So there's a bunch of uh, guidance we can we can provide on, on some of the data here. Brilliant. And that was a question in the chat, actually. Somebody's asking, how many should we yeah. have? This is, not a, this is not a conference. Yes. Not I a seminar. We're not yeah. inviting people to. Yeah. You know, well, I need to point out, Another uh, a really cool suggestion from Brian in the chat. He says, to minimize travel, you can schedule your CAB meetings to coincide with significant trade shows in your industry because lots of those folks are going to be there in town anyway. Just find a, find a gap in the schedule and, and invite them over as, yeah. uh, to the CAB meeting as you well. Know, there, I've been with companies that have done that and have discovered there's kind of pros and cons. The pros is, hey, everyone's traveling there anyway. Your own execs are traveling there. Everyone's there. They're at a specific location. That's great. Um, the, the downside for that is, let's say you're at a conference and everyone, we've all been to conferences. And then if you add on a customer advisory board on the third day, 
man, people right. can be burnt out. They're tired. They want to go home. They've been out of the office a long time. They're getting behind. You might get people that are kind of mailing it in and kind of want, you know, they're kind of tired. So if someone is going to, my, my guidance is that's a great idea that sometimes in practice doesn't work well, especially if you have your own executives kind of coming in and out and not really focused or someone representing in the customer advisory board what they presented at their conference session, right? Um, if, if you are, if you're thinking of doing that, do have your customer advisory board before the conference starts, right? So if the conference starts on a Wednesday, have your customer advisory board on Tuesday before everyone gets burnt out, tired and wants to go home. Get them while they're fresh. Otherwise, your your cab will be completely populated with Type A personalities that can't say no to things. Yeah, the other the other answer is not diverse. Is, the other answer <laughs> that we give is you know a well put together customer advisory board with executives. Um, they're going to want to come to it and travel to it on their own. Again, pros and cons for everything in life. But a well designed customer advisory board, your members, your best executive customers will want to a they'll want to join and b they'll be fine with traveling uh, to that. Right? They're, they they don't need a conference to to be tied to it to make it worth their time. Right on. Uh, I've got I've got another lawyer question in the Q and A over here. Uh -oh. Are you ready for that? Lay it on. Um, Michael says, within the realm of cab discussions, how do you balance uh, sharing customer insights with NDAs, non-disclosure agreements? So <laughs> that's that's an interesting topic. I did write a blog on this, so check it out uh, on, our, ah. on our website. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you you don't need to present secret information that's super uh, you know, sensitive to your customer advisory board. Now, any, someone might say, well, Rob, our, our product roadmap is, is by default pretty sensitive. We don't want, it, want to, uh, uh, we wouldn't want that falling into our, our competitors' hands, which is completely understandable, right? Uh, so you can just tell your customers, you can have them sign NDAs. Um, I actually, you know, fell in a, in a honey pot with this early in my career with someone told me I needed to get NDAs. And so I learned that many companies already have, many of your customers already have NDAs when they buy your product, which I kind of learned the hard way because I was trying to get them to sign it. Some didn't want to, some made us sign their NDA, some didn't. They showed up for the meeting without the NDA. They said they'd go get it, they didn't. So now I'm a bouncer. Do you have your NDA? No. Oh, you're our best customer. They get, who, I'm gonna not let them in the room. Yeah, our, our sales guy and CEO would have loved that. Right. right. Uh, that's a that's a that's a uh, that's a process onto its own. Uh, my recommendation is if you're if your legal department says, hey, Rob, you're starting a cab, you need to get NDAs. I I would push that back on them. Yeah, you're the legal department. You guys go get the NDAs. I'm, I'm not a lawyer. You go get the legal documents. <laughs> I'm going to make a good meeting. Absolutely. Well, Rob, we are coming up on the hour. I just want to say to folks that we respect your time. We know you've got other meetings to get to as well. I do have one more question in the Q&A that I'm going to toss over to Rob. But if you folks need to go on to another meeting, feel free to do it. We're recording everything and we're going to send it to you. So you won't miss out on the last couple questions here. Uh, just want to respect your time. Yours too, Rob. You got stuff to do yeah. as well. You got time for one more question? I do. And before I answer it, you know, if anyone does have questions, they didn't get their question answered or they have more specific questions about their own program. Hey, just hit us up at Ignite Advisory Group. We'll get, you know, we have uh, uh, consultants that'll talk to you about your specific program and I'm happy to do so too. Give me a call, drop me an email, happy to help. Great responses to the presentation in the chat already, Rob. Um, I'm going to toss you this last question from Cameron over here in the Q&A who says, how do you best get equal feedback, feedback and insights from both introverts and extroverts? Or to, to sort of pragmatic institutionalize the question, how do you make sure you're not just hearing from the noisy 20%? Yeah, yeah. great question. And this really does fall to uh, a great a facilitator who can kind of pull out those that are maybe a little more quiet, more reserved, and maybe kind of temper those who are the, you know, the people who jump in and give an answer all the time, Got, falls to a great facilitator who can balance that and get uh, in, insights and input from everyone. Uh, that takes some skill and experience, a little training, and um, but for someone who does it well, then you'll get great input from all your participating customer advisory board members. Beautiful. Well, Rob, um, 
it is time to wrap up. I'm going to toss you one last question of my own. It's one that I that I like to ask the presenters at the end of the webinar, um, named after our director of marketing, Rebecca. We call it the RK question. She came up with this one. It goes like this. If you were to have our audience today do two things differently based on what you've been talking about, uh, what would those two things be? Probably for most of them, they want to know what's the next absolute thing that I need to do Yeah, with my cab running. But what the, do you think, Rob? The two things would be, you know what, guys? Customer advisory boards are not things you give it a try. Let's, let's test it. Let's dip our toe in the water. Do it, plan to do it well, or just don't do it, right? If you think your management or your budget or your personnel or your customers or your... You, you might not be able to do a customer advisory board if if uh, you don't think you can get you know people aligned and together, right? Sometimes the answer is just don't do it. Do it well and plan to do it well or don't do it because if you kind of try to do it a little bit or it's a marketing pro, uh, department experiment, it can backfire. And not only can it not work well, but your customers can say, oh my God, these guys are a disaster. Never mind, buy. Do it well or don't do it. Um, and the other one is, is you know, plan to invest the time. Again, sometimes we get, it's, it's just really frustrating. Sometimes people think like you're, you're thinking of doing one, you run it by your management, you finally get approval. It takes them months to approve and you're trying to do it by your user group meeting or a time or a conference. And now that's six weeks away. And now your, your, your management just gave you approval on the budget and everything. It does take time to get all this together and to do it right, and to do it well. And that's several months, at least six months in advance of an in-person meeting to do it, to do all the steps that we recommend. Uh, faster will accelerate things, but we'll start to make cut corners and water things down. So plan on some time, work in advance would be the other thing. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, folks, I'm sure that you have more questions because this is a huge topic and an important one. Um, if you're watching this in the future, Hello, future Eddie. Uh, you can just rewind a few slides earlier where Rob had that uh, slide with the additional resources and contact and his website on there. Any other contact info uh, you want to give out if folks have specific questions for you, Rob? You know, I would say, uh, uh, <clears throat> gosh, go to the Ignite website. There's a there's yeah. a contact us. Uh, my colleagues are, you know, would ha happily be happy to talk to uh, anyone any one of you. And if you want to talk to me, just kind of send that email and say, I want to talk to Rob. <laughs> they'll, forward it, they'll forward it to me and I'll, I'll be happy to talk to you as well. All right. We know where to find you now, Rob. Yeah. Uh, folks, join us for the, the next of our product chat series is going to be September 22nd at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. We will welcome Ebony Shears, Vice President of Product at Forbes. The topic will be how Forbes creates innovative leadership tactics and product approaches without the model. Tune in for that one. If you have uh, another question in the meantime, um, you can always join us every Friday at 1.30 p.m. for our office hours with a Pragmatic Institute instructor. Find the links for that at the Pragmatic Institute website under the events tab. You can register for those every Friday and ask me anything format. And until then, Rob, it has been an absolute pleasure having you today. Thank you. So you too, Eddie. Thanks for having insight. me. Thanks everyone. What a blast. Thank you to our the participation from the audience is what makes this work. Come and see us again next time. Be safe and healthy, everybody. We'll see you again next time. Thanks everyone.